We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. None of this reincarnation, none of this trying to get it right until you perfect it. We have one life to live, and then that's it. One life to live, only what is done for Christ will last. And since most of us, uh, I think we would admit, right, have sinned, um, when that time for judgment comes, uh, without what we're going to be discussing today, without forgiveness, without grace, um, we're going to be in trouble. And so based on, on, that, on that fact, I think it, it, it's, 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 it's important to, to say that we all need God's forgiveness. We all need it. Forgiveness from God, because he's the only one, he's the only one that we sin against, huh? Um, if you read Psalm 51, which is another penitential psalm, David says, against you and you only have I sinned. Only you. Forgiveness, we have to know... It's available to all of us, but, but only a, a few receive it. Only a few of us are ready. I want you to know that, that, that if you're here, and you know, I'm looking around the room and I pretty much recognize this, we can count each other, right? Um, but just in case, because I don't know everyone's heart just as you don't know my heart. If you're here and, and you've not experienced forgiveness, then I believe that's why we're, we're reading this particular psalm today. Because God, more than anything, wants to offer you forgiveness, right? We just finished celebrating Good Friday, which proved it. We just, we just finished celebrating Easter, which solidified it, that God wants to give us forgiveness. He's, he's proven it to us. I would, I would urge you, don't, don't wait. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. But I think a lot of people say, but I want to live, you know, I, I, I want to live. Um, and I think many say that as an excuse not to come to God um, in repentance uh, for forgiveness. But De Deuteronomy thirty nineteen is an interesting verse because this is God speaking. He says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and, and cursing. And he says, Therefore, choose life. And so if there's anyone here that, that, that maybe is undecided, that says, I still want to live, maybe later on in life, after I've done all the things that I want to do, maybe I'll, I'll make right. I'll have a, a come to Jesus moment. Well, the Bible says that, that life is walking with God. That is what true life is. That anything else is, is a wasted life. It's, it's wanton. It's It's wasted. And so I, I, I would encourage you, get right with God. He loves you. Now, if you're not a Christian, then what's the point of reading this psalm, right? Because none of us need forgiveness, right? We could just go home right now, worship team come up, and, and we'll get going. Because we don't need forgiveness. Wrong. I mean, we know we need forgiveness, huh? I mean, I think as a Christian now, I know I need forgiveness so much more than I used to. You know, there's a saying that, that the closer that we get to Jesus the more that we can see the stains, the closer that you get to this light and you're wearing a white shirt, believe me, you're going to see all the stains that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise. And it's the same thing when we come to the light of Jesus. We see our stains. 
We see where we fall short. We see how we need forgiveness every single day. And so this psalm, it's for us as well, for, for the Christian. Because remember, David, when he wrote this, was what? A man after God's own heart. He was a follower. He fell. He was hurting. He needed repentance. He needed God's forgiveness. And here in this psalm, he's experienced it. And he says, there is joy in forgiveness. And so that's the first thing that we're going to talk about. Verses 1 to 2, the joy of forgiveness. Again, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The word blessed. The, 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 this psalm is the second of six psalms, guys, where a psalm starts with the word blessed. What's the first psalm? Anybody know? Psalm 1, huh? Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 32 also starts with blessed. Blessed is the man. But instead of blessed is the man because of obedience, uh, instead of blessed is the man because he's doing the right thing, like I believe Psalm 1 says, and that's sanctification, because we can't do the right thing without God. This psalm is simply blessed is a man because of God's grace. Simply because of God's grace. Not because you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Not because he doesn't stand in the paths of sinners. Not because he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Not even because his delight is in the law of the Lord. Simply because he has been forgiven. Do we know that, Christians? Do we rejoice in that? You know, I think as a Christians, we go through seasons where we struggle. And most of the struggles, to be honest, unless we're legalistic people, is over our own sins. Huh? We struggle that our sins grieve us. And they're supposed to be that way. But I think we forget how big, how big God is and what he's done to, to forgive us for that sins. And it, it, it kind of puts a, a roadblock uh, for us to rejoice, for us to have joy in the fact that we've been forgiven. The word blessed here speaks of happiness. That's what it means. Uh, one translation has it says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Another translation, the New Living Translation says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. How many of us can relate to that? I, I hope it's everyone in this room. I hope we all can relate to how many of us are happy, how many of us are joyful, how many of us are blessed that our sins have been forgiven. There's a song by Brendan McPeak entitled, Oh, oh What a Joy. And the first few lyrics says, Hopeless, sin-drenched, I was dead in the grave, groping in the darkness with no key to my chains. And then you spoke a word. And you want to know what that word is for those of us that belong to him? It's the word forgiven. It's the same thing as a thief on the cross. When he came to his senses and he says, Oh, forgive me, Jesus. When you come into paradise, remember me, Jesus says, Today. Why? Because right there at that moment he had been forgiven. Have you felt this? Uh, do you own this? Yes, but... You know, perhaps right now you're drenched again in sin. Uh, 
you know, I think as Christians, sometimes we believe the lie of the enemy that forgiveness is only once. You know, that, that when we come to the Lord and we ask Him for forgiveness, that that's His job. But then after that, it's our job to kind of keep our salvation. Have you guys ever experienced that in your Christian walk? Have you ever dealt with that, with that lie? That's a lie. Because God paid for our salvation all the way through past, present, and future. Yes, there is something called sanctification. And yes, God is trying to protect us from that sin. But we have been forgiven. We are a forgiven people. Forgiveness is always there for us. Jesus said what? It is finished on the cross. I love 1 John 1, 8 through 9. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Manny, he's always reminding us that the Christian life is what? It's a series of new beginnings. What does that mean? It means that God's mercies are new every morning, huh? It means that if we, if we fell, if we messed up, if something happened, we can get up that day and count on God's tender mercies. That we can count on the fact that we as Christians can begin, that, that a new beginning has begun because of His amazing grace, like we were singing. Amen? We, we can experience the joy of forgiveness again and again and again and again. Now, we have to be sincere about it. Okay, we, we have to be sincere about it. We can't sin knowing that we could always pull out the, the, the grace card. Um, I, I was telling the guys on Wednesday that I used to work with, with this, this guy when I became a Christian. And you know, when you become a Christian, man, you're just so excited. You know, you're like, I want to meet all the Christians in the world. And, you know, you find out someone's a Christian, it's like you want to hug them or something like that. You know, there's just something that happens, something beautiful about being a, a new believer. And so I was so excited that at Honda, where I used to work, the corporate office, there was another believer in that pagan, heathen environment that I was in, you know. And so I was like, yeah, you know. But one day during a break, I, I heard him having a conversation with someone. And, and he said, you know, man, I, I partied this weekend. I, I knew that he, he, he had, a, he had a, a, a wife. And he was talking about, you know, hanging out with other girls and, and cheating and, and all this different thing. And it just, as a new believer, it floored me. It, it floored me because I'm like, whoa, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't add up. You know, you're not supposed to do that. And so, you know, I built up the courage to ask him, hey, bro, I thought you said you were a Christian. And his answer was, I am a Christian. I'm a blood-bought Christian forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And while that theologically is true, what was wrong? It's hard, huh? Because if you understand the grace of God, there's no way that, not that you're not going to sin because we all sin. Has anyone not sinned this past week? And I knew that you weren't going to raise your hand. Uh, we all sinned. But, but man, where are we with our sin? How does the sin affect us? How does it hurt us? You know, we, we can't play the grace card with God. We can't just be, oh, yeah, well, he'll forgive me. Because that's not really understanding grace, huh? We have to be sincere. We have to come to the Lord. We have to pray. We have to say, God, I, I fell again. I did it again. I messed up again. God, forgive me. Forgive me with sincerity. It, the old man is there. He's present. God, help me get rid of him. Help me to crucify him. 
I know that that when I sin, not only hurt me, I hurt those around me, but I hurt you, God. Please help me. We have to be broken over our sin. We can't take it lightly. It can't be casual. It has to be real. It has to be sincere. But if it is sincere, then God is just. God is faithful to forgive us. Notice the, the trinity of sin that we see here. Look, transgression. This, this word means to step over a boundary or to cross a line. It speaks of open rebellion against the clear commands of the Lord. It's a picture of sin as defiance. Another word, trinity of sin, iniquity. Iniquity, this word means bent or crooked. It brings to mind something that is warped or distorted. This word refers to our very nature, which is warped and distorted and bent towards doing evil. It pictures sin as distortion. And then you have the word deceit here, or other people call it guile. And this word means that, deceit. It refers to that which is dishonest and deceptive. It pictures sin as a deception. And we all have that. We can all relate to that. But there is no sin that the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit cannot forgive. There's nothing that the cross hasn't already paid for, and we need to know that. If we come to Him asking for forgiveness, don't let the lie, don't let the, the, the enemy convince you that it's difficult to get it because it's right there for us. It is. It's simple. I'm sorry, God. I've sinned. And then it's a, it's a blank line because you need to fill that in. You need to be detailed with God. He already knows, but he wants us to confess it. Don't let the devil tell you that you've run out of chances. It's, it's, it's a lie from hell. It's a lie from hell. Be blessed and rest in his forgiveness. Notice that it says in, in, in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Or excuse me, bless, verse 2. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I found that interesting, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Because uh, I'm an expert at this, okay? Sin can be exhausting. The, the sin of deceit, especially lying, uh, is, it's exhausting. Because you lie, and then you lie to cover that lie. And then you lie to cover those lies. And before you know it, there's a web of lies. And, and, and I'll tell you from experience, that's exhausting. And so right there where it says, in whose spirit there is no deceit, I think that for us as Christians, first God, God gives us something where that is no longer us. That's the old man in us, but that's not where we're bent to anymore. And then another thing, is because of his righteousness, now we can be transparent. Now we can say, yes, I'm a sinner, saved by the grace of God. Not that we were proud of it, but, but we admit to it. You know, there's no lying anymore. We deal with it because it's only against God and only him that we've sinned, right? And so we can, we can be bold in God's forgiveness and his grace. We can be transparent. Verses 3 and 4, we're going to talk about the reality of unconfessed sin. Look what it says. It says, when I kept silent, this is David speaking, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Salah. Whenever we see that word in the Psalms, what is it telling us to do? It's telling us pay attention, meditate, think about this. This is David, okay? 
talking about what he felt like before he confessed his sin to God. And he was a believer. Remember that we talked about this is, this is a teaching psalm? It teaches us how to be blessed. It teaches us how to rejoice in the fact that we've been forgiven. It encourages us to seek his forgiveness right away, not let it fester right away, ask God for forgiveness. Not by abusing his grace, but by utilizing his grace when we need it. But I think it also teaches us to teach others. As Christians, we need to be able to teach others. That's what I think David is doing in this psalm. I think that's what the Holy Spirit is inspiring David to do through this psalm. David is saying, let me tell you what unrepentance looks like. He's teaching. Watch real fast. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Again, it's another one of the penitential psalms. While you're turning there, turn to verse 10. Psalm 51, verse 10. It's a psalm that we're all familiar with. But I want to show you how he's teaching us through this psalm. Because it's on the other side of forgiveness. This is in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then, notice, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Just a, a recap, a little bit of Psalm 51. David wrote this in, in, in light of the fact that he had fallen with Bathsheba, huh? that he hadn't gone off to war like he normally would and he got tempted and he fell with another woman that wasn't his wife. 2 Samuel 11.4 It's in, in, in light of David covering his sin by lying and then later by murdering. Heavy sin. The sin of murder. How he murdered Bathsheba's husband Uriah. And then, you know, what follows is the prophet... Nathan confronting David, calling him on the carpet, king and all. You've sinned through a story, huh? And David is so festered. He's so, he's so like it says, it says there, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long for night and day. He was so festered with the unconfessed sin that when Nathan told him this story about someone taking advantage of someone else, someone taking a sheep when that individual had thousands of them, but he took this one sheep and left that person with nothing. What did David do? He said, that person deserves to die because of that unfestered, unconfessed sin that he was dealing with. That's how he reacted. So in Psalm 1, we see a picture, huh? Create in me a clean heart. Forgive me. Show me your mercy. Don't cast me away from your presence. When you do, God, when you do, I am going to teach transgressors your way. I am going to bring sinners to you. And through Psalm 32, that's exactly what David is doing. It's this side of the coin. It's this side of him being forgiven. He is now following through with what he said he would do. He's teaching transgressors the amazing grace of God. He's teaching transgressors that there is forgiveness that's found in God. And we need to know that as Christians. Deal with the sin right away. Don't let it fester. But know always that there is forgiveness. That forgiveness will be found. David's sin was now open, huh? 
When Nathan called him out on the carpet, it was now open. But keep in mind that it takes much more than open sin to make it right because, because even though it was open and maybe he felt a, a sense of relief that at least it was open, he didn't get full relief. But it was better than when it was covered because look what he says. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. It was like cancer. It was like bone cancer to his body. His, his, his bones were falling apart inside of him. His body was falling apart because of that unrepentant sin. David wrote something similar in Psalm 62. He says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. In Psalm 38.3, he wrote something similar as well. He says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger nor any health in my bones because of my sin. Now we can fool all the people, maybe all the time, but we need to know that we can't fool God none of the time. He knows exactly what's going on. He knew exactly what David was doing. And I think deep down inside we know it. We know that we can't fool God. We can fool everybody else, but we can't fool God. I think we need to come to grips with that. We need to repent. We need to ask God for forgiveness. We need to be transparent. We need to be asking for prayer. We need to be asking that God would strengthen us so that we don't fall to that, to that sin. Spurgeon once said, The hand of God can lift us up and it can press us down. He goes on to say, If God's finger can crush us, then what will His whole hand do to us. Unconfessed sin, uh, brothers and sisters, will, will eat us up. Those of, that are, those of us that have experienced it, those of us that maybe through our Christian life had dealt with unrepentant sin and it was festering and it was like David, you know, he, he gave the analogy here, it was just spoiling our insides. We know it. We know what David is talking about. And I, and I think... We need to teach that like David was teaching. Because people need to be, be able to relate to the fact that, that, we're, that we're sinners and that we fall short. But that one day we, we, we found the Lord and we found his goodness and he forgave us and, he, and he, he cleared us from all our sin. I think people will, will, will be attractive to that message. The message of forgiveness, the message that we fall short, the message that we are no different than them. The only difference with us is that we've been forgiven. Verse 5 is a picture of someone confessing and repenting. What does that look like? What does it look like when someone confesses and repents? I think it's awesome that, that David not only taught what it's like to have unrepentant sin, he also taught what it looks like for someone to confess it, to repent of the sin. Look what verse 5 says. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Against Salah. Think about that. Contemplate in that. When I confess, when I admitted, when I repented of my sins, God, you forgave me. Yes, I sinned. And yes, it ate me up. And yes, I was tempted to hide from it. Yes, I was tempted to cover it. Yes, I was tempted to run from it. But when I let it go, when I gave it to you, joy. I had joy because I had been forgiven. 
you know, when I came to the Lord, I don't even want to begin to tell you my story. We'll, we'll, we'll go to Starbucks, you'll treat, and, and we'll be there for three, four hours, and I'll, I'll tell you some of the things that, I, that, I've, that I've been involved with, nothing that I'm proud of, but just to give God the grace, to give him the glory. I would share it with you. But the day that I came to the Lord and I heard the gospel clearly for the first time, and I, re- I almost ran to the altar, okay, when the invitation was given. I'm not, I'm not, you know, adding to it. I almost ran to the altar. And it literally felt like a 900-pound gorilla was lifted off my back. Can any of you relate to that? Have you experienced forgiveness in that way? Jesus, to the, to the woman who was, who was drying his feet that she wet because of her tears, Jesus said, to whom much is forgiven, much loves. We need to understand how much we've been forgiven. For me, it was easy because I was a scoundrel. I was bad. And so to hear that a God would forgive someone like me, a man like me, it just blew me away. But I'm telling you guys, I really felt like there was a 900-pound gorilla that was lifted from me. And that's the same thing that other people will fall, will feel. Other people that are pressed down with their sin. If we tell our story, if we, like David, share of when we were holding back, but when we let go, God will do a work, I believe. Proverbs 28.13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's a promise from God. So verses 6 to 7, we're going to talk about the promise that God hears the repentant heart. Now David says that. Verses 6 to 7, he says, For this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. Verse 7 goes on to say, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Again, Salah. A lot of meditation here. A lot of call to pay attention. David writes, Because God is faithful to forgive, that's why we should go to Him. That's why so many of us go to Him. That's why we went to Him to begin with. huh? Because we know that He will forgive us. That's why we should tell others, guys. Without repentance, don't get it wrong, you cannot have remission. But if you come to God with repentance, the remission is there for you. It's there for all of us. Again, 1 John 1.9 tells us what? If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? I pray you do. But look, God is not only faithful to forgive us, He's also faithful not to leave us that way. And we got to understand that side, that sanctification side, that side where He starts doing a work inside of our heart. The things that we used to do so easily now become difficult. Why? Because God is in us. He's faithful not to leave us the way He found us. Verse 8 and 9 say that. It says, I will instruct you. Pay attention to who is speaking now. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. Who's speaking there? It's God, huh? God is the one that's saying this. God now steps in in the middle of this psalm, and he says, hey, 
I'm not going to leave you the way I found you. I'm going to begin to do a work inside of you. Now, some of us, it's different. We're at different levels of our walk, so we can't expect everyone to have the same. But believe me, if you're a Christian, God is doing a work. If he's not, if you're not feeling anything, there's something wrong. You better repent. You better ask God for forgiveness. You better have a come to Jesus moment because God works in all those that are his. If you're, if you're sinning clean, free, nothing's happening to you, there's something wrong because the Bible says that God will chasten those he loves. He's not going to let us go just clean. He's not just going to let us go and continue to do the things we've done. Something is going to happen. He says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. I will give you wisdom. I will navigate you know, your life so that you don't keep falling, you don't keep walking you know, into those, those pillars. Sometimes you know, I come in here and I'm lazy to turn on the lights and, and I'm coming in here and I thank God for the chairs because I'd be bumping into the pillars. I'd bump my head against that wall right there just for not turning on the light. But when God is with you, He turns on the light for you. He lets you see. He's not going to leave us the same way that he found us. I will instruct you, he says. You don't have to worry about getting it right. Just draw near to me, and I'll teach you. But I don't know where to go. I don't know where to start. He says, I will guide you with what? With my eye. Talk about God keeping his eye on you, huh? Have you ever wondered if God is watching you, if God is looking at us? And he's not looking like with the the big old eye. He's looking at it from the Father's eye. Wanting to see their son, their daughter progress. Wanting, curious, interested in what his child is doing. I love verse 9 because God is acknowledging how thick-headed we are. Amen to that. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and brittle, else they will not come near you. Psalm 103.14 is one of my, my favorite verses because it just brings me a lot of hope. It says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God is merciful to us because he knows who we are. He knows our fallen nature. He knows that that old man, that old woman is still present. He knows that on this side of time, we are going to continue to fall short. But he's done something about it. He's forgiven us. He's purchased us. He's redeemed us. Peter wrote to Christians in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, telling them, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that, they, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The opposite of, hum- of humbling is what? It's pride, huh? And so we don't, when we don't humble ourselves before God, we're showing pride. And what he's saying here through Peter is, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Why? Because he cares for you. Don't be prideful. Don't be like the mule. Don't be like the horse that you got to direct, that you got to force. Proverbs 26.3 says, A whip for the horse, a brittle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Don't be the horse. Don't be the mule. Don't be the fool. Come to me, God says. Don't fight me. 
Don't, don't worry about becoming a good person. You come to me and I will make you a good person. Just draw close to me. Tomorrow is what? Tomorrow is April Fool's Day, huh? Better be careful. Don't be by Shelly because I heard she likes to, to get people. I think that's one of the things Manny's saying. Ah, I'm not by Shelly in April Fool's. She can't get me. Don't worry. She'll save the date for him when he comes back. But I was just thinking of Psalm 14, 1, where it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's their holiday. April Fool's Day, tomorrow. Make sure if you know an atheist, you tell them happy holiday. <laughs> but here in verse 9, um, God in essence is saying that those who don't take his hand of grace, that, that don't take his forgiveness, are also fools. It's also their holiday tomorrow. So if you're a Christian and, and you've had this sin that's festering, if you've had this sin that you believe that God is just not going to forgive me, I've already like, you know, I, I've, I've already checked all the boxes, you know, that, that's it, I'm done. Um, please know that that's not true. Please, please don't be a fool. Don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule. Come to him. Run to him. You know, I see situations here at church, things in people's lives. Some are, some are sick to the point of death. Uh, some are, are, are on the brink of divorce. Others are being consumed by drugs, alcohol, lust. And these are Christians. And they won't see God's forgiveness. You see that in people that aren't Christians. And you kind of have to understand because they don't know any better. But we do. We need to be able to tell them, hey, there's someone that will forgive you. There's someone that will love you. There's someone out there there's something so much more than just what you see what your circumstances there is a God who wants to hear from you who wants to offer you forgiveness who wants to use you as a trophy of his grace verse 10 is about the gloom future of the unrepentant heart versus the joyful promise of the of the forgiven Look at the contrast between the, the unforgiven and the forgiven. And that's all it is. Okay? We never want to get to the point as Christians where we think that, that's the, that, that something else separates us from that who is an unbeliever. The only difference between us and an unbeliever is the fact that we have God's grace, that He has forgiven us. We are the same. We fall short just like they do. We know God's forgiveness. That's the difference. We rejoice in that. We live in that. We tell people about that. Verse 10 says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Again, the only thing that separates us from the wicked is God's forgiveness. Some people, they're going to sorrow unnecessarily. A lot of them don't know. It's up to us. It's up to us to be able to tell them what God has done with us. Those of us that have been there to tell about God's forgiveness, we should. Some won't listen, but by the grace of God, some will. And so we just have to declare it and let God deal with it. You know, as I close, I just, I just want to kind of give that message up because I think a lot of times as Christians, and, and it's a good place to be because we, God has called us to be obedient. Um, we see a lot of Paul's letters, and they are about theology. They are telling us how we should look, what we should do, how we should respond, the type of citizens that we should be, the type of husbands, uh, the wives, the fathers, the mothers. 
But know that he's telling us that because that's who we're supposed to be in Christ as we draw close to Christ, not something that we need to work towards. That's what happens when we abide in Christ. The Bible says that we can do nothing apart from him. If we abide in him, all things are possible. But I was, I was thinking about that DVD that we showed uh, some, some weeks back, How Great Is Our God. You guys were, some of you guys watch it? Some of you guys have probably watched it before, and I've watched it uh, quite a few times. But man, every time you watch it, it just blows your mind because you realize how insignificant we are, how big God is, huh? And I like that part, you know, that the pastor said, you know, sometimes our sin, it magnifies us. It magnifies us and we forget. We let that little pinprick stop us from seeing the sun, from seeing how big he is, from, from, from concentrating, from living in the fact that he died for those sins, that he rose to solidify the fact that he died for those sins. And I just was blessed by that, that DVD. I think we, we, we need to live in God's grace. We should avoid sin. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to compromise because it hurts us and it hurts those around us. And more importantly, it hurts the heart of God. But when we do sin, and we will, let's not forget that God is always there to forgive us. Let's tell people. Let's shout it from the mountain. Let's celebrate the, the amazing grace found in his forgiveness. And that's, that's, how, that's how we close. In verse 10, the celebration call for the forgiven. It says, excuse me, verse 11, uh, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's go ahead and stand as, as the worship team comes up. And as we sing this last song, um, let's be glad. Let's, let's rejoice. Let's shout for joy. Let's be like our brother John right here. You see him? You guys recognize that guy, right? Let's be like him. Shouting, jumping for joy because we've been forgiven. If you go to the next psalm, the first verse of Psalm 33 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright. He wants us to abide in Him. He wants us to draw close to Him. He will change us from the inside out. That's all we need to do is abide close to Him. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.